Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today we are studying Romans chapter 12 as we are right in the middle of a great series on the family of God. We're studying the one another scriptures. There are multiple one another scriptures, but for the purpose of this study, we've narrowed it down to just a few. We've already seen how we should serve one another. We've seen how we should be kind to one another. Today, out of Romans 12, we're going to see how we should love and honor one another. We're going to see two primary words for the word love here. Uh, One is going to be agape. The other is where we get our word Philadelphia. And we're going to see what God's expectations of his people are when it comes to loving one another. I'm glad you're joining me today for this special episode of Awaken to Grace. It is week three of the Family of God series. Romans chapter 12, verse number nine. Let's read it together. So it says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. There's our one another verse. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. Then verse 11 says that we would not be slothful, but rather have zeal. And notice what it says. Fervent in spirit that you may serve the Lord. What's the command? The last phrase. Serve the Lord. How do you serve the Lord? Well, we're going to see it in these scriptures. Love one another. Now, there are two Greek words here for love in this text. Now, some of you may know there are five Greek words for love uh, that are recorded in the Bible. There's actually five words because in the Greek language, love was so deep of an expression. One word couldn't cover it all. There are actually five, and two of them are in this text. In verse number 10, you first see uh, the Greek word phileo, which is Philadelphia, where we get the word Philadelphia, which Philadelphia, as in the capital of Pennsylvania, what does Philadelphia mean? City of brotherly love. And if you've ever been there, you know it's anything but. But it is the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia means brotherly love. But the word for love in verse 9 is different than Philadelphia. I love the way that Paul structures this. And his original readers, those believers in Rome that received the book of Romans, oh, they understood. They knew exactly what the apostle meant when he wrote this. And if we'll unpack it today and we'll carefully study it today, what a word for our generation. What a word for the church of this hour that is so desperately needed today. Verse number 9 says, love, let love be genuine. In other words, without hypocrisy. Let love be real, not fake. Let love be authentic, not hypocritical. And the word that Paul uses for love here in verse 9 is actually agape. 
And do you know what a beautiful, incredible word that agape is? Agape means the God kind of love, the divine kind of love. It is actually a completely unselfish type of love. In other words, this love has no stipulations. This love has no conditions to it. I wonder, you know, the other, uh, another Greek word for love that, uh, oh, isn't it interesting that today's Valentine's Day? Doesn't that just fall on the right day? I wonder, you know, the, the word eros is the Greek word between uh, love between a man and a woman. And many of you, especially those of you that are married, you know that eros love. But, but a lot of times we stop short at that. And this generation, I don't have to explain to you, but you know as well as I know, this culture views not marriage love, not in agape, not without any conditions or any stipulations. No, how do we view marriage? How do we view love in our culture? We view it as a contract. And do you know that in the eyes of God, marriage is not a contract? You realize that? God wants you to see your spouse. God wants you to see others in your life. God wants you to view people in an agape kind of love. If I leased a property from you, if I leased a house or a building from you, we would do what? We would sign a contract. And there would be pages upon pages of stipulations. If I were faithful to pay the lease, then you would be faithful to rent to me, right? But if I stopped paying the lease, what happens? The contract is broken. If you as the property owner maintained the property, then I would continue to lease from you. But if you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, then we part ways. That's a contract. Marriage was never meant to be a contract with stipulations and conditions, yet that's how we view it. If you respond well to me, then I'll respond well to you. If you're kind to me, then I'll be kind to you. If, you're, if you give to me, then I'll give to you. But when things do not meet my conditions, when things do not meet my expectations then we're willing to break the contract. But see, in the eyes of God, it was never meant to be a contract. It's meant to be what? A covenant. Do you see what I'm saying? If you'll begin to ask God to help you to view your marriage and the other most important relationships in your life with agape love, you may find that you become a lot more lovable. You may find that you're a lot easier to live with. <laughs> you may find that God can turn things in your life and in your marriage when you commit to loving with an agape love. No conditions, no stipulations. You love because God is love and because you're born after God. God's love is now shed abroad in your own heart. Can we say amen to that? He says, love one another with what? Genuine, not hypocritical, not fake, not masquerade, but with genuine love. Can you say that you genuinely, authentically love others? Now, 
I appreciate this in the text. I appreciate what Paul says here. Next, he says, abhor what is evil. Now, this is actually, I think, a critical word to today's church. This is a critical word for Christians today. I want to challenge our church right now. And this is a very fine line. This is like walking a tightrope. We have to be very careful in our understanding of this. But let me challenge us today. You as a Christ follower, you as a born again, Bible believing Christian, do you abhor what is evil in the culture today? In other words, do you hate the things that God hates? Are you against the things that God is against? Or do you justify? Do you accept sin? Is it no big deal to you? I'm telling you, we are drifting as a church from this. We need to come back to the things that God hates, we hate as believers. But we have to be careful how we do that. Anybody know that group, Westboro Baptist Church? Anybody know who I'm talking about? I know some of you are nodding, but I can't see you. You have to talk to me. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, there you go. I knew a hundred of you were nodding your heads. That don't help me. <laughs> but I mean, this, this, this group, West Borough Baptist Church, if you don't know them, I mean, Google them for crying out loud. I mean, they've got the abhorring what is evil. They've got that down pat. But you know what they don't have? Agape love. They don't have the love of Christ. They don't have agape love that's shed abroad within their hearts. No. No. See, the church has to be so delicate in this situation. Yes, we stand against evil. We absolutely abhor what is evil. The things that God hates, we hate. The things that he despises, we despise. The things that he stands against, we stand against. But we better do it with agape love. We better do it showing genuine, not fake, not phony, not hypocritical, but I'm talking the love of Christ within us that better be coming out of us as Christ's followers. But do you abhor what is evil? Or do you accept anything and everything coming across culture? And let me tell you, our culture is in a world of trouble right now. Am I right or wrong? Now, I'm going to be careful. I'm, I'm going to try not to get in politics right here. Is it okay if I just dip my toe in a section of it for just a second, for just a moment? We're in a culture right now that what is wrong is being called right. Is that right or wrong? And we got to be careful because the same people that are telling us you can't trust misinformation. The same people that are saying you can't trust lies and misinformation, they're the same people that are telling us men can have babies. You realize that? Come on now. It's the same people who say men can now have menstrual cycles. And they're talking about misinformation and disinformation and the danger of it. No, 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 no. The church better know what truth is. The church better hold fast to what is good. Amen? 
but above it all. And listen, I'm not talking about your opinion. I, I am. Let me, let, let me tell you a blessing to blindness is that I don't have to read y'all's Facebook pages. Because I don't need your opinion. And you don't need my opinion. Let me tell you what we need. Agape love. Amen. And if the church... If the church is going to have a voice in this culture, we better lead with agape love. And I find it interesting that the moment Paul says agape love, he calls out evil. And the church better be true in doing the same. We cannot call what is wrong right, and we cannot call what is evil good. We can't do that. We don't have the biblical authority to do it. And the church better be clear. We better have a reason for the hope that is tucked within us. These are dangerous times. These are fast moving currents in our culture. And if you're not careful, your children, your family will get swept away with this fast moving current. We better hold fast. To what is good. Amen. And you say, Chad, what is good? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Now, I can't, uh, I can't walk you through it from memory. I, was, I, I did not memorize each word of this. I hesitate to paraphrase it. But I want you to see it. I want you to mark it. I want you to know it. So go Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 16, all the way down to 23. If you want to know what God calls evil, read the text. If you want to know what God calls good, read the text. And in Galatians 5, 16 to 23, God tells us what's evil and God tells us what is good. If you and I will understand this as believers, then we're going to walk worthy of him in this present generation. We're going to walk worthy of our calling in this wicked, in this evil age. And how many of you know there is coming a day that God is going to deliver us out of this evil age? And you know what? You know what that tells me? That if there is a present age, and that's exactly what Paul said word for word, that Christ is going to deliver us out of this present, notice, notice the wording here, out of this present evil age. Well, my friends, if there is a present evil age, then let me tell you what that tells me. There is an age to come. There is an age to come. And one day God's going to deliver us out of this sinful, out of this sinful age. God's going to deliver his people. But until then, we have to walk rightly before God. Last Wednesday, Pastor Glenn invited me to do Ask Anything with the students. And boy, was it a doozy. It was the most uncomfortable Ask Anything I've ever done in all of my years of ministry. I was actually amazed. You know, when I was a student pastor over 20 years ago, I did something like asking. It wasn't called asking anything, but it was something just like it. There was one question that semi made me blush. But you wouldn't believe the questions from kids that we tackled a Wednesday. You wouldn't believe them. 
We live in a wicked age, a wicked generation. And friends, if, if we're not following Scripture, I, I'm talking if Scripture and its principles and its paths, if it is not being followed, and I mean having a real part of your life, a real part of your dinner table conversations, part of your parenting, part of of the way that you're conversing with your kids and the way that you relate to your kids. I'm telling you, this wicked culture is going to sink its hooks into them. We better take God's word serious, amen, and abhor what is evil. In your household, do you abhor what is evil? In your household, do you pay attention to what your kids are listening to? What your kids are watching? I try to my very best ability. I try to keep my spirit sharp when I hear my kids listening to something. And if it doesn't set right with my spirit, Emmy, what are you listening to? Piper, what are you watching? What is that? Are you paying attention? Do you abhor what is evil? Do you call what God calls sin? Do you call wrong what God calls wrong? Because I'm telling you, your children's eternities depend on it. Amen? So if we are to love one another, if we are to let love, agape, be genuine without hypocrisy, and let me just say that real quick. Now listen, I don't know you because I don't live with you, right? And you don't know me because you don't live with me. We come in here and, you know, we sing our songs and, you know, we do our small groups and, you know, I mean, we hang out, we do life together, but I don't see you at home and you don't see me at home. Let your love be genuine. Let me tell you, your kids know if you're fake, phony, or real. Amen? And my kids know if I'm fake or I'm phony or I'm real, let love be genuine. Amen. What a word for us today. Amen. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And now verse number 10. Notice what he says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now this is very special. Paul, being moved upon by the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, he's, he's penning some life-changing truths here. So follow the logic of Scripture. If my love is agape, in other words, I don't have conditions on you. I don't have stipulations on my marriage or on my children. If my children act a certain way, then I'll love them a certain way. No, 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 no. I have no conditions, no stipulations. I just love you in the selfless kind of way that God loves me and God loves you. Boy, don't that just make things different. Then I'm going, if, if I'm going to tap in... To that kind of God-honoring, Christ-exalting love, then when God's love's really in my heart, then I'm going to abhor the things that God hates, right? I'm going to feel rightly about what is wrong. 
I'm going to feel about it the way that God feels about it. What I was going to tell you in my mind was moving too fast. So let me just back up for two seconds. We did ask anything. And there were questions about abortion and questions about all kinds of questions about sex. All kinds of questions about honoring father and mother and what if they're, you know, bad parents or not Christians. I mean, just everything you can imagine. And when we come to these really hard issues, take abortion, for example, or whatever, you you just pick a number of hot-button issues. David said something in Psalm 139 that I shared with the students. David said, Precious to me, O God, are your thoughts. Is that how you view your Bible? Is that how you view God's Word? Because when you love with agape love, and I mean, the, I'm talking the same kind of love that God feels about you. He puts it in your heart and you look at other people that way. And when you love people the way that God does, then what happens, again, follow the logic of Scripture, you're going to abhor what is evil. Why? Because God's thoughts matter to you. God, the way God cares and the way God thinks and what God says about certain things, you'll begin to feel that way because you feel the same love that God feels. Isn't that interesting? And people who say, oh, God is, God is all love. And, you know, I remember when I had eyesight, I would see these silly things on Facebook. Only God can judge me. Yeah, that's a problem. Who cares if I judge you? Who cares if you judge me? God will judge. Amen. We got into all of these sex questions. The students and how far is too far? I don't know. Two miles? Five miles? I don't know. (laughs) They didn't think that was funny at all. (laughs) But we got into... All of these questions about sexuality. I shared with them. God, listen, the Bible does not emphasize virginity. It emphasizes purity. And what does the Bible say? God will judge the sexually immoral. That's what the Bible says. So what we have to do as Christians... When God puts his agape love in our hearts, what we have to do as Christians is we have to ask ourselves, does what God says, what God thinks, the way God thinks, does it matter to me? And if the answer is yes, then like King David in Psalm 139, then you'll begin to say, precious to me, O God, are your thoughts. And then it won't be how were you raised or what did you know whoever say or what did college say or what does the culture say or what does the media say. It'll be what does God say. And that's the goal of Christian maturity, right? So God's love comes in our hearts. We abhor what is evil. We hold fast to what is good. What is good? Galatians chapter 5. Now, what is this brotherly love? What is this? What is brotherly affection? What is Philadelphia? Brotherly affection. The idea here, if you're taking notes, the idea that Paul is writing is to be devoted 
to one another. Isn't that wonderful? To be devoted to one another. Let me tell you, there's nowhere that you should, I say should, experience Christian devotion and brotherly affection than in the house of God with the people of God. Sadly, for many of you, that's not been your experience. You've come from different places, different backgrounds. Some of you, you've shared with me, we've had long conversations. Some of you come from places with very poor leadership and pastors making mistakes and moral failures and spiritual abuse, spiritual authority abuse. And some of you come from, you just come from difficult things. But, but let me say, what our goal here in this church what our goal is, is to have what the Bible calls Philadelphia, brotherly love, brotherly affection. What that means is that we are to be devoted to each other. How are we devoted to each other? We bear one another's burdens. We pray for one another. We comfort one another. I'm preaching today with an immensely heavy heart. Sadie woke me up early this morning to a text and phone call that a family in this church that I love with all of my heart. I'm so close to them. They suffered a loss last night that's just tragic. What are we going to do with this family? We're going to walk with this family every step of the journey. Last week, one of our new families, a brother who was just baptized, had a horrific tragedy in his family. And his brother was killed. And what are we to do with these precious people? We're to walk together. We're to pray together. We're to comfort one another. We're to be devoted to each other. I got a phone call today. Oh, I didn't even mention to you. You see the lifts in our auditorium? Hmm. I hear they're quite the, the sight, right? A bit of an eyesore. You know, they're coming in tomorrow morning. To begin demolishing our kids' environments. Did you know that? Uh, literally. They're knocking out the walls. They're tearing up the floors. Going to knock out, you know, that horrible zigzag hallway going into the kids. All that's disappearing. They're going to they're gonna bust everything out. And contractors are coming in. And we're building these all new kids' environments. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be great. We're so excited. On March 7th. I'll be laying out the vision for you. You say, Chad, why are you laying it out March 7th and they're busting out walls tomorrow? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Um, um, none of this was supposed to happen until March. And I'm finding when you work with contractors, you can't be flexible. You've got to be fluid, apparently. So it's, it is what it is. But we'll be laying out the whole vision in a couple of weeks on what it's going to look like and what we're doing. But here's my point. Here's my point. We're getting ready to spend an enormous amount of money bettering our facilities for our volunteers and for our families and for our children and for more children. We believe, we believe God right now, I mean, with all of the kids that are coming, so many... We believe God's going to send many, many more. And we're preparing for that. We're prepping for that right now. 
That's what all this renovation is. That's what this big price tag is. But I get a phone call Thursday, one of our precious families in our church. Precious, precious. I love them with my whole heart. They're in stage four cancer. And they face some injections that they can't afford. And the insurance won't cover it all. And this has been such a long journey for them. They need their church family. And as important as these renovations are, as important as kids' ministry is, and walls and flooring and all that, as important as all that is, you know what's more important? Being devoted to one another. And what a blessing to tell that precious lady, don't lose any more sleep. We've got it. We're going to take care of you. Amen? We're devoted. We're devoted to each other. Philadelphia, brotherly love. What's the idea? The idea is that you're devoted to one another. Let me tell you where else it matters. It matters in the area of sin. Many years ago, this is, this is a number of years ago when Sadie and I first got married. There was a leader in our church. He's a good brother and I love him with all my heart. He's a good brother, but he got off into sin. He met a young lady, and they decided to move in together and not get married. And they decided to move in together and live together. And he was a leader here in our church, and he knew me well enough and knew our church well enough that he couldn't walk with the Lord, and he couldn't be a leader in our church and be in sin. So this brother came to me and said, Pastor Chad, this is my decision. This is what I've chosen. And they went that path, and it broke my heart. We had some pretty sharp words, not mean, not mean like as in accusatory, sharp words as in, brother, you know this is wrong. You're forfeiting. Look at what you're forfeiting for sin. Don't forfeit these things for sin. And it was very hard, and... He left church. He walked away. And a couple months later, I can't remember the full time frame because it's been so many years now. This was actually, this was uh, right as Sadie and I got married. And we took our worship team at that time to Colorado Springs to a worship conference. And we're at this amazing church and this worship conference. And the worship music's going on just exactly the way ours is. And well, I tell you, a spirit of intercession fell over me for this couple. I'm talking deep. I can count probably on one hand the times in my life that I've interceded like that. I'm talking, you know, Romans 8, when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will make groanings. You know what I'm talking about? It was a groaning of intercession. I mean, English words were not sufficient. It had to be utterances of the Holy Spirit. And it was groanings coming out. And I remember I interceded so deeply for them. And I'll never forget it. I'll never in my life forget it. Midway through that intercession, and I had been praying for them, but this was different. This was a moment of breakthrough. And I remember the Holy Spirit said, Chad, it's done. It's finished. Stop praying. You're done. I don't know if I've ever had it happen since. But I felt the Lord say, it's finished. 
it broke through. It's accomplished. And a peace settled in over me. I can't remember how many weeks it was, two weeks, a week, a few, it was eight or nine days probably. I get home. This brother comes to me and this new girl weeping, repenting, saying how God had broken their hearts and shown them their sin and they repented before the Lord. Amen? I had the joy and the high privilege of marrying them just a short time later. Amen? And God restored, and now today they've moved away to another state, and today they're leading a ministry by God's glory. Amen? Praise God. You say, Chad, what's the point? The point is we are devoted to one another. When someone falls, we don't kick them when they're down. When someone sins, we don't write them off. When someone walks outside of God's will, we don't say good luck and slam the door in their face. No, we are devoted to one another. That's what being a church is about. Amen. Are you devoted to others? And then he says something remarkable. (laughs) What high appreciation I have for this scripture. So when God puts agape love in me, it's not going to be phony or hypocritical. It's going to be genuine, and it's going to be real. And it's going to even bleed over to where I hate sin, and I hate the things that God hates. I'm going to, as Jude said in Jude 1, I'm going to hate the garment that's stained, but I'm going to love the sinner. Why? Because agape love is there. But I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to wink at sin. I'm not going to allow what God abhors. No, agape love helps me abhor what is evil. I hold fast to what is good. Then that agape love turns into Philadelphia. You know the reason I love you? is because of agape love. There was a family that this past summer, I would say, hurt me more deeply than any family has ever hurt me in my 20 years of pastoring. But do you know how I know that I'm not bitter toward them? I pray for them and I pray God's best for them. And there are times that I'll pray for them and I'll say, God, will you put them in a good place, a wide place where their feet won't stumble? Will you set them up high in a good place and pour blessings over them? How can you pray for someone who has hurt you so deeply? Agape. Agape. When God puts his love It's going to translate. It's going to trickle down into Philadelphia. Into that phileo, that that brotherly, devoted kind of love. Do you have that for others? If you don't have that brotherly affection, it may be because you're not soaking, you're not basking in that agape love. That's what you need. To have the brotherly love. And then look what he says. And, and, and this will be my last point. But let me explain it. Let me, let me unpack this last piece. So 
when agape love comes and then Philadelphia love comes, then what's going to be the result of it? It's going to be in showing honor to one another. Now, this is fascinating. Don't, don't, don't let me lose you here. Stay with me on this. <clears throat> showing honor. What, what does this mean? If the command is to love, then how do we love? How is showing honor to one another? What does honor mean? It means to esteem someone very highly. Now, probably for all of you, there are people who you esteem highly, right? There's people in your life that you honor. They're a notch above. They're a cut above. You look up to them. There's probably, you know, a few people in your life that you honor in that way. But let me ask you a question. Can you look around the room today and see many people that you honor? That you esteem highly? Okay. Well, how do you show honor? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 teaches us you count others more significant than yourself. So here's what it means. If you're going to show honor to one another, what's that look like? It means you put the needs of others ahead of your own. Does that make sense? We're getting ready to spend an enormous amount of money on kids' environments. To see right now, our brother and sister who's in stage four of cancer, they have got a need that can't wait. What are we to do? Agape, Philadelphia, honor. We are to put their need above our need. Does that make sense to you? And when you look around at your life and you see how many needs are in the lives of the people who God has crossed paths with you and how many needs are in the lives of people that God has allowed you to be around and cross paths with, then you put their needs above your own needs. That's how you show honor to one another. Now, notice what it says. Let us outdo one another in showing honor. Oh, I love this. Because when you understand the true meaning of it, it has set a fire underneath you. So outdo one another. Paul's not talking about a rivalry. Paul's not even talking about competition. Do you realize that? He's not saying outdo one another as in, okay, somebody gives this. Oh, I'm going to give that. Somebody gives this. Oh, I'm going to give that. He's not talking about outdo as in a competition. Because you realize scripturally how you're to give. The Bible says don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. In other words, don't parade it. In other words, don't blast it like a trumpet. Don't let people know about your giving. Do it. The Bible says when you do that in secret, God will see and will reward. So he's not talking about outdoing one another as in a competition. But you know what it literally means to outdo one another? It means to step up. It means take the lead. It means take the initiative. It means you don't wait for other people to step up. You don't wait for other people to take initiative. You don't wait for other people to take the lead. No, you step in. You see a need. You meet the need. That's what it means to outdo one another. 
Isn't God's word so beautiful? And it teaches us how we ought to live. So right now, what are the needs that you see? What are the things that you see that you could respond with? And you say, oh, but Chad, I've, you know, I've got my budget. I've got that vacation I'm saving for. And I've got this. And I've got that. And, oh, Chad, you don't know my schedule. You don't know what little time I have. Oh, no, 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 no. Why don't you outdo? In other words, why don't you take the lead? And why don't you take your needs, as I know you have them, and why don't you put someone else's need right above it? And I'm telling you, on God's authority, you'll have a vitality to your life. You'll have a joy to your life. You'll have that spiritual fruit of goodness working in your life. And as you abhor the things that are evil, you'll hold fast. You'll cling to the things that are good. And your love for other people will flourish and you'll be devoted to other people and you'll begin to take the lead and you'll begin to honor others. And you know and you know what all of that accumulates to? Verse 11, don't be slothful. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And all of this will accumulate agape love of abhorring, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good, that spiritual fruit, brotherly affections for one another. Loving one another, Philadelphia, outdoing one another to show honor to all of it accumulates to you serving the Lord. You may be on a ministry team today, and boy, we value that. We stress that. We emphasize that. We prize that. You may serve on a ministry team, but let me ask you, are you outdoing one another and showing honor? Hey, it's Valentine's Day. Do you honor your wife? Do you honor your husband? Or do you gossip about them? Do you nitpick them? Do you tear them down or do you build them up around other people? You want to really serve the Lord? Honor each other. Be devoted to each other. Hold fast to what is good, abhor what is evil. And let God's agape love be as real and genuine as God himself in your life.